and welcome back to Evolving Prisons with me, Kagan Carey. Today I speak with William Young. William is a correctional officer in Nebraska, USA, and has been in this work since 2005. He also has a business called Just Corrections, where he aims to bring awareness to the emotional and psychological dangers of correctional work. Today, he speaks about the impact being a correctional officer can have on your physical and mental health and your life outside of work. We discuss his book, The Nothing That Never Happened, where William shares experiences that happen in prison that officers don't often think are a big deal, but can actually cause trauma to them, and how correctional officers should be seen in the same light as the police force, the fire service, and the health service because of the work that they do. I hope you enjoy this episode. So thanks for joining me, William. You're a correctional officer in the United States and you have been so since 2005. You also have your own business called Just Corrections, where you like to highlight the emotional and psychological impact that being a correctional officer can have. Just tell me a little bit about how you got into corrections. Well, I stumbled into it like most people do. I I worked at a mortuary transport service before corrections. So I, I picked up people when they passed away from nursing homes and car accidents and homicide scenes. And I met a lot of cops and I thought, you know, I can handle the gore, the aftermath of some of these things. Why don't I check into being a police officer? I think that's why a lot of people get into corrections. And so I had an uncle that worked in uh, for the Department of Corrections for, I think it was 25 years at the time, 27 years at the time. And I told him about it and he said, you know, if you think you want to be a police officer and you want experience with that element, then come try corrections first and work there a couple of years and see how you like it. And then if you, you know, think you can go be a cop, go be a cop. So I I went and I tried it out and I actually loved it and stayed. And so here I am 18 years later. Fantastic. Can you just tell us a little bit about the prison that you work in? Just give us a bit of background. What kind of prison it is? So it's actually, it's a, it's a county jail. It's the largest county jail in the state of Nebraska, and it's a 1,500-bed facility. And we house uh, everything from medium custody, minimum, maximum. We have a SEG unit, federal inmates, ICE inmates. You know, county jails are holding facilities where people are, you know, before they go to court, they either have a, a smaller sentence that they've been handed down or they're waiting to go to court to go to prison. So that's what we do. Perfect. Um, what about staffing? Obviously, your prisons in America are much larger than they are in the United Kingdom. How many staff do you have for a correctional facility that large? I think we're supposed to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 officers. Uh, we don't. I don't think you can find a correctional facility in the United States right now that is adequately staffed. But we should have somewhere in the neighborhood, you know, between 400 and 500 people. Okay. And what kind of impact does that have? We have the same problem in the UK where places are understaffed. What kind of impact is that having? Well, it's it's terrible. Not only can you not run the essentials, you know, the day-to-day operations, but all the the extracurricular, you know, the programming, visitations, different things like that. So daily operations are affected. And then that kind of affects, you know, the population when they can't we use the phone when they need to or go to class when they want to. And then you have the officer side where, I mean, you're barely hanging on. You're, you know, you are overtime, working overtime every day. And the more time you spend inside, the less time you spend outside. And you know, that really affects your mental health, your performance. 
your ability to, you know, really kind of lock in and do the tasks that you're supposed to do to the ability that you're supposed to do them. I think anybody that works really any job that when they get that, that call or have that conversation that says, Hey, we need you to stay late tonight, or we need you to come in on a Saturday. I mean, just imagine that, that feeling all the time, every single day. And correctional officers already work quite long hours. So if you're doing mandatory overtime, what kind of hours would you be working? Um, so I do, I do 12 hours a day. So I, my shift is an eight hour shift. Okay. It's supposed to be an eight hour shift. I do 12. A lot of us do 12s. A mandatory shift would be 16. So 16 hours a day is the maximum that we can work. But the problem with working a 16 hour shift in a 24 hour period is that some of us live half hour, hour away from work. So the, by, by the time you get home, by the time you get your uniform off or out of the shower, you know, you still have to eat, you still have to be a father, you still have to do life things, but you still have to sleep as well. So you're talking on a 16-hour shift, maybe three to four hours of sleep, maybe, and then you go back and do it again. Wow. And the impacts, obviously, of being a correctional officer, we'll get into it. I know that you're a massive advocate for mental health in the correctional space. Sleep alone, inadequate sleep has so many negative impacts on your health, never mind getting into everything else that correctional officers deal with. No, a lack of sleep will kill you. And and there's, there's so many studies on what sleep deprivation can do. Your body needs a certain amount of time to recharge and reset. And, you know, one of the big debates we have and, and arguments is, you know, you should still find time to work out. So I should still, I should work 16 hours, get off, find time to work out for an hour or so, and then still sleep for three to four hours. But what people don't understand is it doesn't matter really what you do, how well you eat, how much you work out. If you're only sleeping three hours a night, four hours a night, and you look into the long-term effects of that, I mean, it's devastating. People say that you should be sleeping here seven to nine hours is like the minimum. Anything under six is when your risk for cancer and heart disease and all these other crazy things go through the roof. And the average first responder, corrections, emergency service worker is sleeping, you know, four just that aspect alone. And so I hate when I hear like, you know, a training thing or a, you know, uh, I read a book and they say, hey, all you have to do is get good sleep. In fact, a lot of my coworkers, when they go to the doctor, they start to get dizzy and they're like having these health complications and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you got high blood pressure or you have this and we're going to put you on meds, but you need to get some extra sleep. And we just laugh because it's like, when are we supposed to do that? You know, our, our lifestyle, our profession doesn't allow for us to do that. So if you're going to stay in this world and you're going to work in this profession, advice like that is kind of kind of silly. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to talk about the work that you actually do on a day-to-day basis. So corrections is often hidden. People don't know much about what you do. They don't even think about corrections, sadly, because they can't see it. What kind of things are you doing day-to-day? Because I know it is a very dangerous job every single day. It can be. And what I tell people, the elements are always there. The ingredients for a terrible day are always there. You are, I liken it to a to kind of a rough neighborhood. There are sometimes people in that neighborhood that are not so nice, but the majority of the people are. And so what we do as correctional officers, and that our, our job has kind of changed from when I started to what we're doing now. So when I started, it was it was safety and security. 
It was make sure these guys and gals in, inside don't kill each other, don't kill you, don't commit any crimes when they're in there, and then that's it. Now the job has evolved to, you know, we have all these programming classes, we have there's mental health people coming in and dealing with this kind of stuff, and we're a little bit more invested in, in what's happening with them now. And so the job has kind of evolved from, you know, just correctional officers. So sometimes I tell these people, I say, you know, look, I'm the, I'm the police, I'm the fire, I'm your high school counselor, and I'm your stepdad sometimes if I need to be, because we spend time now motivating individuals, having conversations with them, hey, helping them you know, write their paper that they have to write for a class. And I know that some correctional officers listen to this and say, no, we don't do that. But I think the majority of us, we're invested in, in what we do. And so our job is not just keeping them inside, right? Because when you're locked in with, you know, 60, 70, 100, 200 people, you don't treat them like dirt. You don't treat them like a jerk because that's, that's not a good way to do business really at all or when you're locked in with people. And so you do spend a lot of time interacting. You do spend a lot of time motivating, you know, wishing people the best, wishing them good luck, kind of kind of riding this journey with them. And so that's how I spend most of my day. I, I, I walk around, I interact, I talk, and I want to see them achieve these like small successes, you know, because that's what corrections, you have to set expectations lower, right? You can't because things can get out of hand just incredibly quick. But to for somebody to come up to you and say, hey, you know, I got a job or I got my GED or, you know, which is like your high school diploma or I did this, I wrote this poem, will you read it? To me, that's that's awesome. And you become invested in, in what they're doing. So when they get out, because I work in a county jail, you know, and they, they get out and, and I've been there so long now that Unfortunately, some of their kids are coming in, but you get out and you're neighbors with them and your kids go to school together and, and you sit next to them at a football game or you shop at the same store. So from my aspect, from my my viewpoint, I'm actually helping neighbors, you know. Absolutely. And that's what a lot of people don't realize, I think, is too many people say lock them up and throw away the key and forget that I know it's different in America with the death penalty, but most people are getting out of prison and they will be your neighbor. So how do we want them to be? Do we want them to be better people or do we want them to, to be worse? Right. And I think that gets lost in the day-to-day sometimes because it's such a grind. Working in corrections is a grind. And I'm sure that being housed in a correctional facility is is not good either. But you you kind of get lost in that big picture. And it is because we have a, such a revolving door that you think you spend some time on a person, you're like, wow, I feel like I've seen a change in this person over the course of the few months or years that they've been here. And then they return. And you see that over and over and over again. And you start to feel like, well, man, maybe what I do here doesn't matter. You know, maybe what the facility is supposed to do, it doesn't really do. And then you have the day-to-day grind the lack of, you know, appreciation from those that maybe are supposed to show it, it just becomes a negative experience when it shouldn't be. Yeah. And how do you keep motivated in those times? As you say, you'll you'll see their children coming through or they'll come back. How do you stay motivated to keep doing the job you do? <laughs> I I like what I do. I like the job. I like the interaction with the inmates. I like 
I was just talking to a gentleman that had come back. He's back in jail again, but I haven't seen him for 15 years. And when he was there last time, he gave me a lot of grief. We had a lot, me and him had a lot of trouble and uh, we were both young and now we both have gray in our hair and we were kind of laughing and joking about it a little bit. And, you know, he apologized and, and he was kind of joking with some of the youngsters and, and just to see, you, you almost have to change your perspective on, on what you think people should be able to accomplish because there is a difference in how people were brought up. There is a difference in people, how, what people can accomplish based on their resources. And so when somebody comes up to you and tells you, Hey, I've been sober for 30 days or, Hey, I've been sober for six months. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. When, when somebody comes in and I haven't seen them inside of my correctional facility for two years, five years, for some of them, that's a really big deal. And so you need to, so my, my question to them is, well, how are you doing otherwise? Like, how's life going? You know, oh, it's, you know, it's great. I got a job. You know, for me, if I was in jail, my life would not be good. It would, I would be, you know, I would be throwing stuff at the walls and, but their attitude that they have, their outlook on life is just sometimes a little bit better than ours. And, and I think just a little bit of shift in perspective on what actual, on what everybody's different reality is can help you. And so for me, that, that helps me when I see those interactions, when I get those, that positivity back a little bit, it helps me keep going because correctional officers do help people. Our interactions, our conversations, our little tidbits of advice, even some of the tough love that we give, it plants seeds and it helps be, even though I may never see it. I may never see this individual again. I may never see the the outcome of what I put in, uh, but we do. We do change lives, and and there will be some people out there that will say, "Yeah, yep, I talked to a correctional officer, and what you said to me really matters." I mean, I get that every once in a while when guys will come back, but I think that we need to understand. And, and part of my message to other correctional officers is this. The things that you say to these guys and the way that you treat these people do matter. And and you do have an impact on their life, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you think you're just, you know, babysitting them or you're not doing anything. You really are. I mean, think about this. If you have an individual who didn't have a father figure in their life or a strong mother figure in their life, and they see you coming in and out every day to work, you're working hard, you're treating people fairly, you may be the only example of what a person should be, you, you know, you may be, they may be looking at you and saying, wow, I mean, this guy, we treat him like crap and he still comes into work, treats us fairly. I had an inmate years ago, he was getting ready to get out of jail. And he just said, he goes, he goes, Hey, I appreciate all the conversations that we had. I hope your children know how awesome their father is. And I'm like, well, yeah, what, you know, they kind of made a joke like, yeah, they don't, but, but, you know, things like that, really, really impact us. And, and we need to understand that, yeah, I mean, even, even if we don't think that they are looking at us that way, that there are, there are people in the, in those dorms, there are people inside of those housing units, inside of those rec yards that are looking at us like, man, look at that guy, you know, look at that gal. So that's why I do it. Wow. It sounds like a very rewarding job for, for all the difficulties that it has. It definitely sounds very rewarding. It can be. I just want to ask why you started your, your business. So just corrections. What was happening in the corrections space? What was happening for you that, that made you decide to do this? I was in a terrible place. I was on the day shift and life was good. And, and I was living like a normal human being. And then I got 
bumped off of my shift by a senior officer who decided he wanted to come to day shift. And so I went to night shift and I thought my whole world was over. And, you know, I couldn't see my family as much. I was working more overtime and I get it. Things got really dark for me. And so I, I, I started researching correctional officer burnout, correctional officer fatigue, correctional officer suicide. And I kind of fell into this crazy world of, holy crap, this is, this job is really bad. And I had had lows, highs and lows throughout my career uh, before, but I was always able to kind of pull up out of it. And this one, I really couldn't. And so I found this training course that said, hey, this, we're going to teach you, first of all, what this job can do to you and how to get through it. And I thought, well, I got to have that information. So I checked it out, went, did it. And that was a, that was a life-changing event for me. Just learning that just working inside of a correctional facility, even if nothing happens to you, can still have a negative impact on your life outside out of uniform. And, and so I had to take this information back and I had to even tailor it more so to the officers themselves. And the training was great. And it was written, the lady that did the course is one of the industry leaders out there advocating for corrections. And I, I needed to give it from our perspective to the people. And, and so I started, I started writing and I basically, I started journaling things that pissed me off and situations that I handled poorly. And then when I write them, and I would read it. I said, okay, smart guy. Now, what are you going to do about it? Like, yeah, okay. You can't go to a dinner party because you, you know, don't like people because you deal with people's problems all day. Now, how can we deal with this? And so I just started writing that and I submitted an article to the lady who did the training course and uh, she published it. I got good feedback from it. It felt really good to see it in writing. And so I kept writing. And we decided to do a book. Uh, I did another book. And then I was going around and, and speaking. Agencies were having me come and talk. And COVID hit. And all of that got shut down. And I was like, well, crap. I have to still, like, I mean, people still need this information. Because I, this is not information that you, you know, you get in a throwaway class that you don't want to really pay attention to. This is, this is life-changing life-saving information. And so I got on Facebook one night and just hit, you know, go live. And I just started talking and had a couple of people reach out to me and said, man, you should do a podcast or you should do a, you know, and, and, and I didn't even know really what a podcast was. And, and so I did a few more lives and people started saying, Hey, I like your podcast. And I'm like, well, I don't even know if I'm doing a podcast, but so I, so I said, well, you know, social media is a great way to reach out to people. So I started the YouTube channel, just corrections and, you know, just very active on social media because you can just reach people. Just, you just have no idea how, who you're reaching. And so that's, that's kind of how it started. And, and I said, there are people out there talking about this, but there aren't a lot of frontline active correctional officers out there trying to reach other frontline active correctional officers. And being a guy who's still in the fight, being a guy who's still struggling with some of the things that I talk about, you know, I need to let people know that, hey, I'm there with you. Although I don't know exactly what you're going through, I've been down a similar path. And let's help each other through this 
career so we can get to the end of it in one piece, mentally and physically. Wow, what a very selfless thing to do. I read your second book, The Nothing That Never Happened. I would highly recommend it to anybody that wants to know more about correctional officers. And some of the stories in it, you know, I, I obviously know about prison officers, I'm passionate about them, but I have no experience at all of the things that you deal with. And I think you have written that so well for people who aren't in the space to understand it. And just some some of the stories that you share, I don't know if you're happy to talk about this. We don't need to, but the, the bit where you talk about your son and you go down to the basement, I believe, to get him out of bed. And you talk about the fact that the beds made his bags there and you start looking in the cupboards, preparing yourself to see that he had killed himself. And as a person who has never had to deal with the kind of trauma that you see as a correctional officer, that was really profound for me because it really opened my eyes to the things that correctional officers experience, even when they're not at work. You know, if, if I went into the basement and expected to find somebody and they weren't there, the last thing I would think of is that. But it, it was really heartbreaking reading that. I appreciate that. It is, and this is what people don't understand, is that trauma and the things that we're exposed to on a daily basis, things that, that big, tough officers just say as part of the job will sneak up on you. They'll sneak up on you at the worst possible time, unannounced. And if you don't address those things or talk about those things as they happen, right? So if you see, if you deal with a death at work, you deal with a hanging at work, and you are having a little bit of an issue with it, or even if you're not, you should still talk about it and you should still maybe touch base with a counselor and just work through some of those things. Otherwise, you're going to have all of the things are going to hit you when you're at the end of your road. So I've talked to a ton of retired correctional officers who are having nightmares, who are now having side effects when they didn't before because the, the job never bothered them. Nothing they ever saw bothered them. They didn't understand. And what we're not taught is that our behavior inside does change the way that we behave outside. It changes where we go. It changes the people that we're around. It changes how we interact with our family, with our neighbors, with strangers. So it does affect our lives. And then the, the terrible things that we see, they do resurface. And just for a, a, an example, the other day I had to do my CPR recertification training. And about a year ago, I had to do CPR on an individual that hung himself and, um, when the guy, the guy was talking to me and he said, okay, here, I'm going to need you to show me how to do compressions. And he put the little dummy thing down. Uh, I started getting emotional a little bit because I, I was back in that shower, pounded on that kid's chest. And I had gone to counseling afterwards. I had talked about it. I have helped other officers through that, but that still comes back. So these things, whether you want them to or not resurface. And so the point of the nothing that never happened and, and, and stories like that is to put people kind of in, in my shoes or put myself in their shoes and say, hey, this is just a normal event happening here. And then all of a sudden you're, you're somewhere else. And if that is the case, that's normal. You're a normal person having a normal reaction to an abnormal event. You're fine. This is not, you're not weird. You're not broken. And my kind of my goal is to, you know, I put myself out there, I write these things, and I talk about these things. So an officer can say, hey, give it to his wife, husband, however, whatever, and say, hey, check this book out. And when they do that, they're saying, hey, I can relate. 
and I need you to read this. I can't say this, but you know, this guy is, or, or I want somebody to say, Hey, this guy's crazy. And the husband say, you know, not really, not really that crazy. And just start that conversation. That's, that's the whole goal. And if I gotta, if if I gotta open up my closets and talk about some stuff, then that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I like as well that you'd mentioned about how some correctional officers might not think they have trauma, but you mention how many officers will go into a restaurant and always sit with their back to a wall with themselves facing the door so that they, they can see everything that's happening. And as you said, they probably do that without thinking, but if they actually look into it, it's because they have trauma. So when you get into, when you start your career in corrections, they, they teach you, they teach you how to walk inside of a facility. They teach you how to, to keep yourself safe while keeping other people safe. And if you do that for 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week for, for decades, you're going to behave that way outside. There's just, you don't turn it off. Now you could have maybe a dimmer switch, so it doesn't quite affect you, but we do. And that's where I start, right? That's when officers like, oh, this job doesn't bother me. I'm like, well, where do you sit when you go to a restaurant? Well, I sit with my, my back to the wall. I'm like, why? Well, so I can stop it. I'm like, stop what? You know, stop the threat. Well, what threat? I mean, it's a Wednesday. Although I know that it seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket and people are shooting each other right and left, especially here in the United States, that's really not I mean, your, your chances of being caught up in something like that are relatively low still, thankfully. And so for an officer to be pinned with his back against a wall, armed, waiting for that to happen, is a direct result of their training because they're taught to forecast, to predict all of the potential threats, not probability, right? Not like, oh, this is where I'm at right now. It could probably happen. No, this is... I look at every single person in the restaurant. I look at all the single doors. I think about, okay, if a shooter comes in, I can do this. I think about if a fire breaks out in the restaurant, I can do this. I think about all, everything. And so your mind is all, you're trained to do that. And so your mind is always racing like that. And then, and that's how I usually get them. I say, you know, do you sit with your back to the wall? Yes, I do. Do you carry a gun everywhere you go? Well, of course I do. You know, it's like, well, do you really need to? And so then they kind of start to think about that. And when I when I bring up the training, officer safety equals cynicism. I mean, they that's how they train us because we can't afford the margin of error is very slim inside, and we can't afford to do certain things inside. And so then we start to behave that way outside, and we don't even realize it because we think because we're we're a rock star inside, and and we think that that we're doing a great job, and we are. But outside, it's a little bit different. So, for example, I get an email from you that says, hey, I want you to come on the show. And I'm like, no, I don't know you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't know. What's your angle? You know, and so that's our initial reaction, because everybody who comes in and talks to us has an angle, has an agenda. Are they just talking to me because something crazy is going on in the back and they, they want to slow me down? You know, I mean, those are the kind of things that we're trained. And, and rightfully so. Those things do happen on a daily basis. But we don't understand that. We're carrying that home with us. We're carrying that out in our other interactions, and 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 that's bad. Yeah, you you can't be two different people for long, can you? I I read mm. an article about a correctional officer in the UK. Their wife had written a small article, and they'd said that their husband became a prison officer here in the UK. And to begin with, he would come back on annual leave, and he would go back to the person he was before he became a correctional officer. But after a few years in the job, he was just that person. The person that he became at work, he was that person at home as well. 
but he didn't realize it. Well, yeah, we, I mean, because it's such a subtle change. It's like when you start to lose weight a little bit and you haven't seen somebody for a couple of weeks, they're like, man, you look great. And you you see yourself in the mirror every day, so you don't understand that. And, and the things that we do, the changes that, that happen inside, inside, they're great. But yeah, you need, officers need at least you know, a three day weekend, a four day weekend, you know, that when you have vacation, you know, when you, when you're able to get out of that facility for a long period of time, you can come down, you can write the ship a little bit, you, but when you're spending 16 hours a day in prison and eight hours a day outside and four of that is in your bed, what are you really experiencing? What's the balance between the negativity and the being under a constant threat you know, to being hypervigilant all the time, 16 hours a day, where's your balance there? You can't experience anything positive. You can't allow yourself to come down because by the time you decompress from something, I always, I always give the example of, you know, have you ever almost, almost been in a car accident? Had somebody pull out in front of you and you get that <gasps> like that? How long does that take for you to kind of come down? I mean, you, you're wired for a little bit. You go home and you tell somebody about it. And then eventually you come down and it's okay. We don't ever get that come down part because we're back at work. So when we have that fight or that medical emergency or that that attempted or completed suicide or just the inmate that stands toe to toe with you and says, I'm not going to my room. Then you're like, okay, well, we're going to fight and I'm going to get hit and it's going to hurt, but let's go. And then they don't do anything. And then they just go to their room. And then you're like, you still have that dump. You still have your, your heart still racing. And then you go home, you have to sleep for a couple hours, you come back and do it again. I mean, your body does not have the opportunity to ramp down again. And that's why divorce rates high. That's why we scream at our kids. That's why we're shitty neighbors. I'm sorry, crappy neighbors. Just because we don't have that, that time to just decompress. Like a deep sea diver, you know, they spend so much time under the ocean, they have to bring them up really slowly. Otherwise, they're going to get sick because of the pressure of the water. That's kind of like us. The pressure that we're under, the stress that we're under, the things that we're subjected to, we need time to come out of that, to be able to go back into it, you know, with a clear head, with a good attitude. But we're not allowed that time. I think you mentioned it in your book with the adrenaline that that comes in those situations. And that's why I think the title of your book is so clever, The Nothing That Never Happened. Did you say it takes 16 hours for adrenaline to go back to its pre-state, but actually in a correctional facility, things are happening so often, as you say, you never get a chance to get anywhere close to that. I think it's 18 hours. And so for a normal person, an average person, when they get that adrenaline dump, for your body to regain homeostasis, to be back to the way it was before that event happened is 18 hours. And so I, you, you look at what a correctional officer goes through in that 18 hours, and usually we're right back at work. Usually we have, you know, we've had days where I'm going from fight to medical emergency to almost fight to maybe another fight. And then I go home and I'm still, there's been days that I've had a situation happen five minutes before I get off shift. And so I'm a half hour late coming out and I'm still amped up because 30 minutes ago I was rolling around on the ground fighting somebody. And now I have to go home and I have to go to sleep, right? I can't sit out on my back porch. I can't have a cup of tea or beer and sit out there and relax and tell everybody about my day. I have to go to bed because I have to be back in like five hours. 
And so I don't have that time to come down. And it's just, it's really not being able to reset becomes, becomes a serious problem. Yeah. And how often do you, well, how many days do you get off then? I know you'd said three or four would be good. How, how much time off do correctional officers get where you are? Some work five days on, two days off. Some work, you know, a rotating schedule to where they have, you know, a few more days off. But we, you know, we have the ability to take time off as well, some instances. But yeah, it's, it's not enough. Like I said, it, it takes me three days at least and I talk about it in my book a little bit in the chapter, The Rocket Man. You know, having that time, that first day, you are just catching your breath. You honestly walk out of that place glad to make it to your weekend, counting down the days to retirement or to whatever you're going to do. And you just want to be. You just leave me alone. Let me, can I get six hours of sleep today? And for some of us, that doesn't happen, right? For some of us, it's like, no, we got a birthday party. We got a graduation party. We got, we're going to my mom's, we're doing this. And it's like, holy crap. Okay, so you're running, you're doing those things. And then you, if you do get some good sleep, you wake up and you're like, man, I feel great. Let's do it. I got a ton of energy. But you can feel at the end of that day, that second day, or rolling into, you know, the day before you have to go back, just that dread maybe too heavy of a word for some people but for most of us i think i think that's a good representation because you know when you go back to work you're going to i think the number one concern is the long hours you're going to have to stay you're almost losing two or three days a week because you're just all you're going to do is work and sleep so you're dreading that you know that when you go you're going to have to do 60 hours this week plus if you have any problems from last week that bled over or maybe you're in a housing unit you don't want to work i mean there's all kinds of things that start to run through your head that really take up that that last day and then you're off and running again yeah i just want to go back to your book i i appreciate that you might not want to go into detail about this but when i think of correctional officers i know that they are dealing with suicides attempted suicides fights potential fights, threatened fights, long hours, as you say. But one thing that really struck me about your book was the story. I can't remember the correctional officer's name that you used, but where she went to the hospital with an inmate and the inmate's baby passed away, unfortunately. And the inmate sat most of the night with the baby between her legs, just watching television, not really looking at the phase that she had a dead baby with her. And I found that very, very disturbing reading that. And I can't even begin to imagine what the correctional officer went through and the emotional harm that must cause the correctional officer and that staying with them and how you can just think, how could somebody do that and act that way when their baby's just died? I don't really know how to put it into words, but I just found that so profound and really quite disturbing. And I never thought for a minute correctional officers would deal with things like that. But presumably it's it's not a super rare occurrence. That was a happened to a real good friend of mine, and and she's retired now. But she really struggled with that, and and actually, it wasn't just her. The female officer that relieved her had just had a baby, and her baby, you know, was fine and stuff. But as a mother, seeing that, just a human being seeing that, that's nothing you can be trained for. That's nothing that you can be prepared for. And if you, you know, when you when you read the book, and the like, I said, the lady's sitting there. She had just lost her mother. She had some other things going on. She's watching this show on TV about somebody losing her mother. And then you connect all these events. 
she didn't know what to do. I mean, as she's telling me, I said, you should have told the nursing staff to take him. You should have called back to the facility and say, hey, we got it. But she didn't know what to do because she didn't really know what was happening to her at that moment. And then, of course, you know, when she came back and talked, I made a big deal about it and it got handled, I guess, for the next time coming up. But we're subjected to a lot of things that we didn't know were going to happen. So that's why when people people say, well, you knew what you signed up for. This is just part of the job. This is not part of the job. Nobody told me when I signed up for something that I was going to have to sit in a hospital room with a lady who was just going to mishandle her dead baby in front of me for eight hours. Nobody, nobody told me that. That is something that, that officers should not be subjected to. But when I went, like when I went on uh, Dr. Phil, they tried to get me to talk about uh, kind of our indifference to the things that happen. But what you have to understand is we're trained to handle these situations. And anytime a fight happens, a murder happens, a suicide happens in prison, in jail, the officer, they're, they're experiencing that situation with them. So when somebody decides to end their own life inside, it's an officer that takes him down. It's an officer that does CPR. It's an officer that, after the body is removed, goes around and makes sure all the inmates are okay. And you hear stuff like, hey, uh, can you change the channel on the TV? Hey, what time do I get to get out so I can use the phone? And they're banging on the door. It's a scream and they're laughing. And all the time, you just lost somebody. You know, you failed to bring this kid back. And now somebody wants the TV channel changed. Those are the kind of things that you can't train for. Those are the kind of things that over time really change who you are as a person because you get a glimpse of humanity. And, and I hear a lot of, you know, I've, I've listened to a couple of your episodes and I, and I hear a lot on other podcasts and videos about, you know, treating the inmates humanely and the way that prison conditions are. And those walls affect everybody. You know, it's not just them. It's not just us. But there's a great video put out by Canadian Correctional Officer Union called On the Razor's Edge. And it shows a guy doing CPR on a guy. Uh, you know, it's a reenactment, of course. But you can hear it. The video was so impactful and so good because they paid such good attention to what really happens. And, and while this guy is trying to save a life, people are taunting him. They're laughing at the inmate. It's just these despicable things that are happening. And those are the things that you carry with you. Those are the things that you hear when you try to go to sleep at night. And that's why a situation where that, that female sits up at the hospital is why those little things, right? It's really easy to pinpoint, you know, you get stabbed or you get assaulted really badly. You could say, yeah, that's why I have PTSD. That's why I can't sleep at night, you know, but when those things don't happen to you and they're just the little things over time, you know, the nothings, that gal never wrote a report. The facility never followed up on that behavior of the inmate. There's nothing that they could do. That damage was already done. And that story really bothers me because not only did she do that and she affected several officers during that period, about three weeks later, that inmate ended her own life at our facility in front of more officers. And so just that one individual changed a lot of lives. And there are a lot of people picking up pieces 
of themselves after the things that she decided to do. So it is for the amount of effort and energy we put into this job and we put into the people that we're caring for, that we're keeping safe, and the amount of things that we're witness to that happened to us, that almost happened to us, the fact that any officer willingly goes back day after day after day is amazing. You can look at an article about a prison assault. You can look at, you know, correctional officer goes crazy. Correctional officer does this. Correctional officer does that. But everybody has their breaking point. I mean, a lot of people here in the United States are looking at the effects of solitary confinement on individuals being housed in solitary confinement or the effects of long-term confinement for individuals, prison conditions for the inmates. But nobody's looking at prison conditions for the officers. I, I listened to your first episode, and the guy was the, the guy he ran private prisons or something. And at the beginning, he's really he spoke about the the suicide rate of correctional officers. He kind of touched on that, but then the rest of the episode he never really did. He came back to it at the very end, but he didn't talk about it. It was all about how we need to interact better with the inmates, how we need to treat the inmates better, how we need to, and that's all true. But the problem is you can't have a conversation about changing the culture inside a prison, about making a better environment for the inmates or the offenders without helping your officers, without giving training. Good, You can train me to interact with them and I can teach them and I can mentor them and that's fine. But if at the end of the day, you don't tell me how to make myself better, you don't tell me how to properly process the things that we're witnessing because it's fine. You can have you can have a unit where the guys are in there and they're all doing homework. We we have a we have a religious unit. A lot of jails and prisons will have religious units or veterans units or specialty units, but bad stuff still happens in there. And it's not all the time, but it only takes one. It only takes the threat of working in. What if an officer was told, "Hey, you're going to be affected by this environment just by walking into it. Just by looking into working into this field, you're going to be affected by it. You know, the, the, the doors are loud. The smell of the place has a certain smell. Things can still happen to you. And even if nothing ever happens to you, if we knew that, if we knew why we were pissed off, if we knew why we were stressed, why we we're yelling at our wife, if we knew why we were tense all the time, could we manage that? Could we be taught to say, okay, you know, if I do this breathing technique or if I, you know, if I have to see, like, I think, I think correctional officers should have to see a counselor once a year, mandatory, uh, certainly after traumatic events. And certainly they need to be there for whenever they need them. But I think we need an evaluation. I think you need to sit down and say, Hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? I saw you, I saw this, this, and this happen to you and you're fine. Oh yeah, I'm fine. Who can see murder, suicide, fights, crimes, sexual assault, and be fine. No one. And if you are, you've become so numb, so indifferent to that. So if a guy wants to say, hey, we're going to start a a movement, a nonprofit that says, hey, we want this prison to be a better place where inmates can flourish, then you have to have officers that are emotionally okay, that can still feel Things like pride, disappointment. But, but when you, what you have is just shut up and go to work. You know, why can't you do better? Why can't you help these inmates more? Why, why did you do this? Well, because I'm barely hanging on by a thread. 
because I've had no mental health training, because I've seen, you know, six dead bodies since I started here. My home life is a wreck because I'm never home dealing with stuff. I mean, you can't have this conversation. And this is what I'm learning. And and it sort of upsets me, but that's fine. That nobody is ever going to listen to or about the mental health wellness of correctional officers unless we tie it to having the inmates have a better experience, right? So if I tie it to that, then people people will kind of listen, but it'll still be an afterthought. It'll be a, an eight-hour I, – I went to – I testified in Washington. They said that they give eight hours of wellness training a year for correctional officers, Well, I went to a 40-hour, a week-long training on how to deal with inmates in crisis. So for 40 hours, you show me how to deal with an inmate who is maybe mentally ill and how to safely resolve that situation, which was awesome training, by the way. But you only give me eight hours to tell me how to be a decent human being and not let this job affect me. That's the problem. We're not taking it seriously. A lot of people, it's, it's the hot topic in America right now. And I don't know if it is over there or not, but officer wellness, officer wellness. We need to do something about officer wellness. There three correctional officers a week are killing themselves, and that's a problem. Well, then you have to do something about it. And part of that is you got to get them out of the facility. You have to let them get their head out of that facility for a little bit. I talked to an officer. Well, they were suicidal. And when you think about talking to someone, you want to give them hope. You know, you want to tell them, hey, here are some things that that you can look forward to or some maybe some people that are better with you in their life. And they said, my family has already learned to live without me. I haven't been there for 10 years. They don't even know who I am. So why are they better with with me here? I mean, I'm not I'm nothing but a paycheck. And that's because they're giving 100 percent. They're all inside of their correctional facility. You know, we had this lady that asked me, she said, you know, on one hand, you say you want to help inmates. And then on the other hand, you say you're so stressed out and burnt out. Well, how does that work? I said, well, and her dad was in prison, had been in prison for 20 years. And I said, that's because I give all of my effort and energy into making sure your dad is okay. And then when I go home, I don't have any left for my family. And that's what we do. We give, our job is not a half in, half out kind of job. You go in and you put, you put in some effort. You have to. And then we go home and we're exhausted. We just don't have anything left. And, and we try, but it's not a healthy, sustainable model for correctional officers, especially right now. I mean, the, the staffing levels are atrocious. Getting to where we're, you know, all over the country, people are shutting down jails, parts of jails, inmates are being locked in more, and that creates animosity, and the, the officers are tired, and the inmates are pissed, and it's just not good. It's a great profession. It's a very noble and honorable profession. And anybody, anybody who does it and goes into work is, in my mind, a hero because they are interacting with, advocating for, you know, being a champion for somebody whose society has said, you know what, we don't want you around us. So we're there for them. And then nobody's there for us. And that, over time, gets a little stressful gets a little disheartening. And if we don't figure out a way to fix that, then we can't fix anything else. Because you can have all the programming you want, you can have tablets, you can have whatever whatever you want. A lot of people talk about the the Norway model and and that's good, but it's a, it's a different culture. 
you can do all of those things. But if the person holding the keys is stressed out, is not understanding why we're even doing what we're doing, right? So you put this programming in place and you say, hey, this is going to, all we hear is you have to do this. This instructor is going to be here on Thursdays. You have to make sure that nobody kills them. Okay. Well, what are we, what are the inmates even doing? Why are we doing this? You know, if they came to us and said, hey, on Thursday nights, we're going to teach these inmates how to do, how to fill out a job application or how to do a budget. So when they get out, they can budget their finances. They can learn how to save money. They can get a job where they don't have to sell drugs. They don't come back to jail and everybody's happy. And if they gave us a little explanation, maybe we'd be more invested in that. And we could say, all right, yeah, this is a good thing. But right now we can't because it's, it's another thing that we have to worry about. Another thing that's coming in, another, another resource for the inmates. And I say, well, Where's my class? Where's my anger management class? Where's my class on mental health? Where is my time that I can make a doctor's appointment to go get my blood pressure meds filled? I mean, I, we don't have any of those. If you have an officer who, who can't do any of those things and take care of anything they got on the outside, then they're not going to care about anything on the inside. I mean, it's just, it's lunacy to think that they, that they will. And if they are, then great. But I can tell you that I love my job, that I'm very vested in my job. I spend a lot of time talking and working with the inmate population, but there are certainly days that I'm like, no, not, I can't do it today, guys. You gotta, you get just disillusioned because you're like, these people, uh, getting all of these resources and all of this attention, which they, they need it. I'm not saying they don't need it, but spread some of it out. You're spending millions of dollars a year on programming that you need, but officers need that as well. And there are some facilities that are doing it. There are some states that are doing a really good job at it, but the overall culture of corrections is not doing it and not receptive to doing it. So right now we're at a point where even if an agency came up and said, hey, we're going to introduce this wellness program, or we want you to do this, or we want, we would be, we're so cynical right now. We wouldn't, there was, I talked to one lady who's, their officers can go on a wellness retreat. Their agency will let them off paid to go to a wellness retreat. That's awesome. But some of the staff is like, well, I'm not going to no stupid wellness retreat. Well, those are the people that need it the most. And those are people that, because they've been, lied to, talked down to, abused for years and years, they don't believe it. You know, they're like this, there's, what's the catch? Where's the angle? You know? So, sorry, that was a long rambling answer to whatever you asked me. No, not at all. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's just heartbreaking the, the things that officers go through because I totally agree. You you can't pour from an empty cup. And when your mental health, your physical health suffering, as you say, potentially your relationship, your your family life, you have nothing to give. So how can you then be expected to go in and move mountains? You mentioned in your book, you say, where's my meme? And I, I found it <laughs> funny that you'd said that. And you mentioned about how um, police officers, the health service and things, they, they get a lot of recognition from the public and they should. However, at the weekend, I actually noticed on LinkedIn quite a few people talking about the, the Jubilee here in the UK and thanking our everyday heroes 
And every single post mentioned the fire service, the police force and the NHS here in the UK. And it actually made me really angry. And I'm not even a correctional officer, but not <laughs> a single one mentioned the, the prison service. And every single day you go into your work and you are at risk because you are with the most dangerous people that society have deemed need to be locked away. And I just got a little glimpse of how correctional officers feel in terms of, yeah, I see it myself. I'm yet to see somebody thank our prison service for the work they do. And it's sad. Well, thanks for, uh, I'm, I'm glad you experienced that. Again, it's very small. It sounds, you know, superficial. It sounds like I want praise for the, for the job that I do. And, and I do. One of the things that adds to our stress, to our burnout, to our depression, is the fact that nobody sees the good stuff that we do. Our family doesn't even know the good stuff. I, I don't know how many times I've come home. I've wanted to share a story of something that happened. Not, oh, you know, we this guy and we had to put him in a restraint chair, but, you know, I helped a kid today. Or I had a, I had a kid that told me he wanted to kill himself and I got him safely into where he needed to go. And I had a good conversation or I'm on the negotiating team. And so I do a lot of talking, barricaded inmates, inmates don't want to go to court. There's, and I get those things done through conversation and I come home and I want to talk about it. And because there's no point of reference for them, it doesn't mean anything, you know, plus the world's going on and all these things are happening. And so rolling over, checking my phone and seeing Thanksgiving and Christmas that, you know, oh, here's for all the police officers that are going to be working today and pray for their families. And I would, well, what about my family? I'm going to work Thanksgiving. I've worked Thanksgiving every year for 18 years. I mean, any little sliver of hope, happiness that we have for doing a good job is stamped out by the recognition that we don't receive. And, cor and correctional officers should. There's a lot of correctional officers that'll say, oh, I'm not in it. If you're in it for the recognition, you're in the wrong job. And that's right, because you won't get it. You won't get it from the people you work with. You won't get it from the people you work for, because we're so, we just say, oh, it's just part of the job. It's just part of the job. Yes, seeing suicide is part of the job. Breaking up fights are part of the job. But it doesn't mean you didn't do a good job. Think about it this. If you take a person and have them, you know, break up a couple of fights respond to a medical emergency, I don't know, literally put out a fire in one day. I mean, that's significant. Those are significant events. My neighbor doesn't do that. Sometimes my, you know, my firefighter buddies don't even do that. They're not responsible for breaking up the fight and putting out the fire. I'm not taking away from anything that they do. I just want people to put us in that conversation because the things that we do are extraordinary. And there are things that even police officers wouldn't even do. You know, the, the, the police officers are not going to take off their, their gun, drop their baton and do all that, and then come in inside and work in a facility. They're not going to do it. And so that should say something. And so, you know, and I get, oh, people say, well, you want police are scrutinized in the media. Do you want that too? Yeah, I do. I want people to understand that corrections is just as noble a profession as police or fire. I want them to understand that it's just as dangerous as police or fire. And if we do something stupid, we need to be held accountable. But if we do something good, we need to be held accountable too, right? So I have a good friend of mine on the San Antonio Police Department. They had a mental health unit. 
And there was a documentary on him called Crisis Cops. And it's the guy's a fantastic communicator. I mean, he's just fantastic. And, and kind of the poster for the thing is, you know, him kneeling on a bridge talking to a lady that was going to jump. And much like the meme book, that's a poster of a movie about him kneeling. on. Do you know how many times I've done that? You know, do you know how many correctional officers have just by their interactions, just by their communication, successfully de-escalated a situation? I want them to have their movie poster. I want somebody to come in and say, wow, this is a job that not a lot of people can do. And this person here that does this is extraordinary. And part of that problem, though, is that we don't even see that. We kind of feel like, I mean, we're like a you know, like an animal that's been whooped too long. You know, when somebody comes and says, oh, here, come here, you did a good job. We're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm just doing my job. But some super things happen inside. Officers react without question. Officers respond without thinking. They do amazing things with no resources and no regard for what it does to their own physical safety, mental safety, nothing. Those people should be rewarded. Those people should be recognized. They should be celebrated. They, you know, we have National Correctional Officers Week here in the United States, but it's also National Nurses Week or something like that too. It's you know whatever International Hot Dog Day. Who cares? But it's it's like no, we need people to say, hey, this is what we do, and these are the things that your people, your your neighbors, are going through. So one of the things that we deal with is. You know, when people see me in uniform, I wore a, a blue line shirt to the store a couple weeks ago or whatever. Me and my wife were shopping. And, and a lady, an older lady comes around the corner and she goes, oh, she goes, oh, she goes, are you a police officer? I said, no, ma'am, I'm a correctional officer. She goes, oh, um, well, thank you anyways. Thank me anyways. What does that even mean? Thank me anyways. Well, I said, you know what? Thank you. You're, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. But I'm like. What the hell does that mean? Like, she has no idea what I do. I mean, I don't know what people think that we go through or what it is that we do. But if they did, they wouldn't say thank you anyways. And so that, that's what we deal with. That's the thing. I, like, like you, obviously, as I say yet again, I'm not a correctional officer. I've never been in your shoes at all. But I'm so passionate about prison officers and changing the culture for them that I, I've done as much research as I can and I continue to research. I do wonder what the general public think correctional officers do, because if they had half an idea about what correctional officers do, they would be on the same pedestal as the police, the NHS, the health service in America, the fire service, because you are risking your life every day. And with the police, I've heard correctional officers say before that with the police, they um, arrest the criminal and then they get to hand them over and then that's it. Whereas correctional officers are spending their entire shift with that person that the police have, um, criminal justice system have deemed as too unsafe for society. If you, if you watch the news and, you know, you have a serial killer, a murderer, a rapist, whatever, and the general public watches the news and they say, oh, this individual got sentenced to life or this individual got 40 years and they kind of wash their hands up and they're like, good, they feel good at night. Well, that means that me or somebody like me has to deal with that person for their whole career, for the foreseeable future. That person does not stop being dangerous because they go inside. 
that person does not have, it's not like, okay, well, I'm done being a murderer, you know, because I'm going inside. That's not true. They're still very dangerous. All society did was put all of those people in one area and then they don't care what happens. I had a joke that I say, I say, how many police officers does it take to change a light bulb? And I say none because I have a correctional officer do it for them. Because, yeah, they they drop them off and then we work with them. And police, their job is incredibly nuts, too. It's an impossible job. It's super challenging. I couldn't do what a police officer does, just like a police officer couldn't do what I do. It's, a, it's an entirely different skill set. We're working with the same people, just in a different capacity. And what I need people to understand is, yeah, that, that person that you see on the news that goes away for the rest of their life or did some horrible things to people, I have to be in a room with them all day. So how would you feel if you were in a room with two, three, four violent criminals and then 40 or 50 people that may or may not have made a mistake or drug charges or something? But And now you're in there all the time. You're within contact. Like if I, if I asked you, hey, how many murderers do you know? Have you had a conversation with? For me, I, don't, I lost count. I've had people that say, yeah, I killed this person, but I'm going to walk out of prison. You watch. And they walk out of prison. The, the people that we interact with, it's crazy just to know that. And that's what I want people to just, you know, just look at themselves and say, if I had to deal with this individual, how would I react? I mean, one of the things that people always get me is they say, if somebody uh, did terrible things to a child, you know, I'll get a text from one of my buddies or I'll get a, you know, in a conversation with somebody I know on the outside, somebody who's not a correctional officer. And they're like, well, I hope you get in there and you guys tell that guy this, this, and this, or do this and this and this to him. I'm like, no, we don't do any of that. In fact, I have to keep him safe from other people. I have to make sure that he's got clean clothes, got, uh, you know, a warm meal. I have to, when he comes up and asks me if he got any mail today, I have to give it to him just like I would anybody else. So when I'm talking about the mental impact of corrections, that's a good example. Like, could you, could you sit down and talk with a person that you knew raped his niece, said horrible things about her, and still treat him like a human being? Most people can't. Um, you know, mass shooters here in America. You know, people that we know go into school, shoot up a bunch of kids, and then they go to jail. And as a father, as a human being with feelings, how would you treat that person? How would you look at that person? Would you be disgusted? Would you say, you know, you're a piece of crap? We don't do any of that. We can't do any of that. And, and honestly, emotionally, we can't afford to get even that invested. And so that's where some of that cynicism, being jaded, being emotionally numb, that all comes into play because we rub shoulders with these people knowing the terrible things that they've done. And we learn to stuff that in the back of our head. And so then when we're outside and we hear about it, we're numb to it. We don't feel it like we should feel it because we can't afford to do that because we have to go back in and now we have to work with this guy. So I don't even watch the news. When my wife says, hey, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, why are they dead? Are they rearrested or what? Are they coming back in? I mean, because I, I don't want to know. I don't look unless I have to. I had a conversation with a kid 
who I made him pull up his pants because he was sagging his pants. I made him pull up his pants. He, you know, he was just being real disrespectful. And I'm like, you know, clean it up, man. You know, just because you're in here doesn't mean you have to act like a goofball. And I went and looked later at what he did and he had killed a couple people. And so I'm like, well, I mean, would I have said that with the knowledge that I have now? Probably still, but could the normal person do that? Could the average person do that? And, and so that's, those are the kind of things that we deal with. And it's like, we don't know who we're working with all the time. And just that after, you know, almost getting in a car wreck, adrenaline on situations like that. And again, nothing happened. No big deal. I worked with a kid a hundred times, but you just never know. You never know. I had a, I had a guy that was in my housing unit and I let the people out every day. He would come out, he'd sit at a table, put his paper out, his little, he would sit there and write or draw or whatever. But I would come up to him and I'd say, Hey, good morning. Every morning. How you doing? And he would never talk to me, never answer me, never even really look at me. He got transferred to a a mental institution uh, several months later. And uh, within being there a couple of weeks, he killed a doctor. And yeah, and I'm like, holy crap. Like that, I was within inches of that guy every morning and worked with him. I mean, eight hours a day for however long. And could that have been me? The answer is yes, it certainly could have. If he would have... If he would have wanted that to be me, it would have been me. And so you, you know, little things like that over time, you're like, oh man, this is a real thing. This is a real job. And that's why I don't like when people say, oh, this is, you know, corrections is, it's just a job or they, they're not giving it the respect that it deserves. Other jobs that you can't be murdered at, other jobs that you can't be held in past your time. I mean, there's a lot of things that at stake in, in a correctional environment that aren't normal, you know? And so for us to say, oh, it's just part of the job or it's what you knew you signed up for. It just, it just, to me, it just, it baffles me. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, mo- most jobs, your, your lifespan isn't, you're not told that you're going to die 20 years before <laughs> the average person. You're right, not, right. you're not told that you're going to be more likely to have a heart attack or get divorced or yeah, it's, it's just horrendous. The work that that you actually have to do for a job, you know? For me, I think, oh, a job's a job. I, I do it to get a salary. You can't think like that in corrections because you wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't do it if that's the way you looked at it. So I'm extremely grateful for the work you do. I know that there are plenty of other people out there who are, but I'm so glad and grateful that you've come on the podcast today, William, just to share exactly the type of things that you do deal with so that we can get that message spread to, to more people. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I enjoyed our phone call the other day. I look forward to, you know, working with you or speaking to you in the future. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My key takeaways are that it takes 18 hours for your body to reach homeostasis after an incident which created adrenaline in the body. Correctional officers work so often and see so many potential or actual incidents that their bodies never actually get a chance to go back to homeostasis. Officers are expected to look after those in their custody and help transform their lives, yet they are often burnt out. They aren't getting enough sleep, enough help themselves in the relation to the things they deal with. Their family lives are often neglected, yet they are still expected to give their all at all times to the people they care for. The job changes correctional officers. They are trained to always look out for danger or bad things happening, so they begin to do this in their personal lives too. For example, 
they can begin to question other people's motives and they may likely subconsciously sit with their back to the wall in a restaurant so that they can have eyes on everyone in the room. Behaviour that general members of the public wouldn't even consider because we haven't been trained to always be on the lookout for danger. As always, I'd be really grateful if you can please rate this podcast on whatever platform you listen to and please reach out to me at evolvingprisons.com if you have any questions.